Praise the Lord and God bless everyone. Thank you for joining us again in our Bible study series that we're doing in the book of Acts. We've come to a very important juncture in the book of Acts. And if you're just joining us, not a problem. All of the notes and previous recordings are all available to you in several different ways. You can go to our website at new-life-ministries.org and download any of the notes or recordings that you may have missed. Uh, we welcome everyone to join us live Wednesday nights at 7.30, either on the telephone or online at mixlr.com, and our broadcast name there is New Life Ministries. You can also subscribe to the New Life Ministries podcast, and you will get all of the notes and recordings as they are added. Okay, uh, we are now in part seven, and if you are following along in the notes, part seven begins on page 105, and let me just give a few um, introductory remarks and a little bit of review from last time. As I mentioned, this is a very critical point in the book of Acts. This, of course, is where the gospel is finally and officially launched to the Gentiles. And this may not seem like a big deal to us, but in their day, this was a huge deal. And I mentioned last time, this is why Luke, the writer of Acts, devotes so much time and space in the book of Acts to this particular portion of church history. This was a monumental shift. It was a change in God's whole dispensation, where for centuries he had been dealing with the nation of Israel, separate and distinct from all the other nations. And we mentioned the word Gentile simply means nation. So you had Israel and then all the other nations. All the other nations were the Gentiles. And so, finally, in Acts chapter 10, the door of faith is going to open to the Gentiles. And I want to stress, God is the one who opened that door. The times and the seasons, all these things are under our Father's control. And after hundreds and hundreds of years... God says, now it's time for the Gentiles. And there had been promises of this going all the way back to Genesis 12, and you could possibly even trace it further back beyond that, that salvation would ultimately not be just for Jews, but for all people, for all the nations of the earth. And so, we saw last time that God is starting to move the chess pieces around on the board. He's getting everything set up for this great event. He's got Peter on the roof of the house having a vision. He has a Gentile centurion named Cornelius who has been visited by an angel, and now God is about to bring all of the different pieces together so that Peter can take the gospel to the Gentiles. And 
We saw that in the opening verses of Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was a God-fearing, righteous man. He was respected by the Jewish people. He was a friend of the Jews. And that's important because, remember, God promised in Genesis 12, I'll bless them that bless you, speaking of Abraham and his descendants, and I'll curse those that curse you. And so it was no accident that God chose Cornelius and his household to begin this great ministry of the good news going to the Gentiles. And we spoke quite a bit last time about Peter's vision of the sheep being let down and all the different animals, many of them considered to be unclean or impure according to the Jewish law. But God stressed to Peter, don't call anything impure that I have now made clean. And we mentioned that this is about something far greater than just a change in the dietary laws. That indeed would also be taking place. But this was about people and about God now distinctly changing the way he was going to deal with people. That's why it's called a dispensation. God was now going to dispense his salvation, his grace, his truth in a totally different way, not just to the Jewish nation of Israel, but to all those who would come to him in faith through his son, Jesus Christ. So, we're going to pick it up right where we left off last time, and this brings us to page 109 in the notes, and Peter has now been called for by Cornelius. He sent some of his men to find Peter. Peter realizes God is up to something, and he goes back with the men from Cornelius' house to see Cornelius. And we pick it up right there in Acts 10. I want to read from verse 23 to 33. It says, the next day, Peter started out with them, those are the messengers that had been sent from Cornelius, started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. So Peter is also taking some people with him. (coughs) The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. 
May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now, we have seen this several times already in the book of Acts, and we're going to see it many more times. I love it when God moves. And I want to emphasize this, when God moves. So much of modern church activity takes place in boardrooms, in planning sessions where men sit down and they study numbers and demographics and they come up with their plan. They may have their one-year plan, their five-year plan, their ten-year plan, and there's a place for all of that, but God help us to think we can plan this all out. This was God unveiling His plan to take the good news to the Gentiles. Man had nothing to do with any of this. Here's Peter on the roof having one vision. Here's an angel visiting Cornelius in another city. Now Peter has come to this house, and there's a whole gathering there waiting to hear the good news. This was a divine appointment. This whole thing has been set up and arranged by God. And we in the church, we need to earnestly pray and seek God for more of these kinds of meetings and appointments where God brings people together, God opens doors, God sets up things so that He gets all the glory. Now, it says that the very next day after these messengers arrived at Simon the Tanner's house where Peter was staying, the very next day Peter starts traveling with them to Caesarea. And he takes some of the brothers from Joppa along with him. We will learn further along in the story that these were actually six circumcised believers. So, Peter takes along with him six Jewish believers, and this is important because God wanted to make sure there were a number of eyewitnesses there from the Jewish community to observe what God was about to do. And we'll see when we come to chapter 11 of Acts, yes, this was an earthquake. It was a big deal. And Peter would have to explain to many of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem what actually happened in Cornelius' house. <clears throat> so, when Peter arrives, Cornelius was expecting him. They had this large gathering of people 
in the house waiting for Peter. And as Peter walks in, Cornelius falls at his feet in reverence. But as Peter would always do, he immediately refused any worship from men. Worship is never fitting for men or for angels. I don't care if you're an apostle, if you're a prophet, if you're a pope. I don't care who you are. Worship is never fitting for men or for angels. And when such worship was was offered to men or to angels in the Bible, they very quickly deflected it back toward heaven. And so Peter immediately reminds Cornelius, get up, don't worship me, I am only a man myself. You know, when the anointing comes on us, and when the gifts of the Spirit start operating through us, supernatural things begin to happen, and we need to be very, very careful not to let all that stuff go to our heads. Many a great man or woman of God has fallen prey to this. Pride gets in, and pride always precedes, that's right, a fall. And good for all of us to frequently, frequently remind ourselves, I'm only a man. I'm only a woman. I'm only a human being. I'm nothing. I'm just a little package of dust, and it's God's glory in me. It's God's Spirit in me that is accomplishing these things. I am not worthy of the praise, the worship, the glory that people might try to bring to me. And in the ministry, that will happen. People, especially carnal people, people who are not very spiritual, they will try to offer praise and worship to the man of God or the woman of God, but we must be very careful not to take any of that glory to ourselves, but to turn it right back toward heaven. Almost like a mirror, we need to reflect it right back up to the Father and say, this is for you, O God, this is not for me. And he did this in Acts 3, when the crippled beggar was healed there. He said, we're just, we're just people. Don't, don't worship us. This is not by our power or by our holiness. This is in the name of Jesus. So get up. Don't worship me. I am only a man. And then, immediately, Peter goes into this thing, explaining to them why he shouldn't be there. He says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Okay, well, Peter's breaking all the rules because he had some of these Gentiles staying with him as guests the night before. He's traveling with them to Cornelius' house. He's now come into the house of Cornelius, and all those things, by his own testimony, were against the law. You're well aware. It's against our law 
for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. That's the kind of separation they had been taught for centuries. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. Jews don't associate with Gentiles. They don't marry them. They don't eat with them. They don't even go to their houses. It's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But, very important contraction, the next word, but, and here's where we understand, Peter got the revelation from the Holy Spirit in the vision that he saw up on the roof. But God has shown me that I should not call, not any animal, not any food, not to call any man impure or clean. He realized the vision of the reptiles and the pigs and all the other unclean animals that they were forbidden to touch or to eat. It wasn't just about food. What he really understood is there's been some major change in God's law. Notice that. It's against our law to do what I'm doing now. But somehow, Peter's starting to understand there's been a major shift in God's economy, in his dispensation. God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Therefore, Peter is willingly and readily entering into this house of a Gentile. The whole gathering there is Gentiles, and he realizes this is okay now. This is cool. I'm here with a whole bunch of Gentiles, and that's not going to be a problem. So, Peter had reminded all the people there in the house, this is not what he would ordinarily have done in the past, but something major. I used the word earlier, earthquake. This is an earthquake that is about to take place. Peter understood that God was breaking down a wall that had been between Jew and Gentile for centuries, not just for years, for centuries, and it is about to come down. Paul would write about this very eloquently later in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 11 to 19. And again, most of us, probably all of us tonight, are Gentiles. So it's hard for us to grasp this. That's why I'm trying to go a little deeper into this, so that we can try to get into the head of somebody like Peter, who for centuries their culture had taught them Jews are clean, Gentiles are unclean. Jews are the favored, chosen people of God. Then there are the Goyim, the nations, all the other Gentiles. There, there's the circumcision, the chosen ones of God, and then there are the uncircumcised. They're cut off from God, they're cut off from all of God's grace and God's favor and God's salvation. 
Listen to how Paul puts this in Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 19. And he's writing to a primarily Gentile believer audience. Most of the folks he's writing to are Gentiles who have gotten saved now. But listen to what he says. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the uncircumcision, of course, the Jews referred to themselves as the circumcision, all the rest of the Gentiles are the uncircumcised. That done in the body by the hands of men. Verse 12, remember that at that time, So, before this major shift where God opens the door of faith for the Gentiles, before that happened, here's how things were. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's how serious this division was between Jew and Gentile. And that's why many Gentiles, even under the Old Covenant, they would convert to Judaism because they wanted to partake in the blessing, the promise of the Israelites. That's the only way they could do it, (coughs) was to be circumcised and to convert to Judaism. But, Before the door of faith was opened to the Gentiles, they were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's a very serious state to be in. Without hope, without God, cut off, from the covenants of promise, you have no hope. You have no God. You have nothing. You're completely cut off. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And here's the key. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, and he has made the two, that's Jew and Gentile, he has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Pause for a moment and try to take this in. If you're a Jew, this is an earthquake after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God is now declaring that His Son, Jesus Christ, through the shedding of His blood on the cross of Calvary, is now going to destroy the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, not just do away with the hostility between them, but make the two one. Note those words 
has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his, his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So, not to go too far afield tonight, but the old covenant is about to be abolished with all of its laws, all of its rules, all of its sacrifices, all of its commandments, the whole thing is going to be replaced with a better and a higher law, a new covenant. So, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose, here's God's stated purpose in all this, was to create in himself one new man out of the two. So, God's stated purpose, after thousands of years of separation between Jew and Gentile, it's now totally changed. His purpose is to create one body, one new man, out of the two. Thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you, you Gentiles, are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Yes, this is a big deal that we're about to read about, where God himself is going to remove that dividing wall and allow Gentiles to experience him, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his salvation, no different than if they were a Jew. The purpose is God wants to make the two one. And I don't want to go too far off tonight, but this is why I disagree with many well-meaning Jewish Messianic believers that want to maintain a distinctly Jewish congregation or a Jewish movement. That's not the purpose here. The purpose is to break down the division and the distinction, put Jew and Gentile together, and make them one new man. Not to continue all the feasts and laws and regulations of the Old Covenant, but to bring all of them into a whole new covenant with new laws, new regulations, a new sacrifice, a new priesthood. Everything about it would be new. So that's why God wants to create in himself one new man, one body in Christ. So, back to Peter and the gathering in Cornelius' house. Cornelius explains his visitation from an angel, 
the vision he had, and why he has asked Peter to come and address this gathering in his house. Again, remember verse 27, when Peter went inside, he found a large gathering of people. This is not just Cornelius and a couple aunts and uncles. He's got a large gathering of people that had been sitting there waiting. And his words to Peter were, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Wow, what a beautiful setup. The whole stage is set now. Everybody is glued to their seats. They're all ears. Peter has the floor. They want to know what this Jew has to say to them. And picking it up in Acts 10, from verse 34, we'll read down to verse 43. Here's what Peter has to say. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize, that's interesting, it's even as this whole thing is unfolding, Peter is learning, Peter is receiving a revelation from the Holy Spirit. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Now, you and I might read that and say, well, yeah, of course, everybody knows that. No, everybody didn't know that in Peter's day. Because, again, the Jewish people were God's favorites. For centuries, they had experienced nothing but favoritism. There was this wall dividing Jew and Gentile. So this is monumental for Peter to state, I now realize God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation. Wow! That is a profound revelation. He accepts men from every nation. Wasn't that way a couple of days before this. This is a new deal. Now, now, God is beginning to accept men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace, through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter acknowledges the message of the gospel had been spread so far and so wide, he's assured that even these Gentiles have heard about Jesus. They've heard about his ministry, the healings, the miracles, his crucifixion, and they've at least heard reports that he had risen from the dead. They already knew about that. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea. They had heard about all this. Beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, 
and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Once again, he is sure they've already heard these things. You heard about John, John the Baptist, baptizing people in the Jordan. That news spread far and wide. You've heard about Jesus of Nazareth, how he went around doing good, healing, working miracles, casting out demons, um, delivering people who were oppressed by the devil and all that. Now, verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. There's that word again. We are witnesses. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. God made sure these first Gentiles were going to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. They were going to hear from an eyewitness, Peter, who had been there with Jesus. He had witnessed all of these things firsthand. He is speaking to the Gentiles as an eyewitness. Verse 41, He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So, Peter starts off his speech acknowledging something new is going on here today, folks. God no longer has favorites. He accepts men from every nation. From every nation. Contrary to what some people teach, here's what Peter was not saying. We need to be clear about this. Peter was not saying any God-fearing, righteous person like Cornelius is automatically saved. No. Cornelius was not yet saved. He was a God-fearing man, yes. He was righteous according to what he understood. He was walking in integrity according to his conscience, as we talked last time. But he's waiting for Peter to preach the good news to him so he can get saved. He was not saved on the basis of just being a God-fearing, righteous man. God-fearing, righteous men, praise the Lord for them. They're wonderful people, but they're not automatically saved. Apart from the knowledge of Jesus Christ and placing their personal faith in His sacrifice on Calvary. As we will see 
in the next chapter in Acts 11:14, Cornelius and his household needed to first hear the message of the good news in order to be saved. And let me just take a moment to go a little further on this because there, there's some confusion, I think, amongst Christians on this. If a person has never heard the gospel, but they're living and walking according to whatever light they have in their conscience, we talked about this last time in Romans chapter 2. If a man fears God and, you know, is morally upright, doesn't kill people, doesn't steal, he tries to be, you know, a good person, that's wonderful. But he's not saved by that. Salvation only comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way. But, when God finds a man like Cornelius, and they are rare, who really does walk according to their conscience, <clears throat> they fear God, they have some sort of a, an awareness of God, and they try to live up to certain moral principles. When God fan, finds a man or a woman like that, who has lived up to whatever light they have received, he makes sure that that man, that woman, that child gets an opportunity to hear the whole counsel of God, to hear the preaching of the gospel, so that they can then repent and embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, the, the stage has been set. Peter has delivered a very simple message, really. didn't take us long to read what he preached to the folks there in Cornelius' living room. And this is actually the fifth and final sermon of Peter's recorded for us in the book of Acts. And you'll notice a number of similarities between what he preached here and what he preached in all of the other sermons. You can go back and look at them if you have the notes. But he again points out the message of the gospel was first sent to the Jews. It was first sent to the people of Israel. And although Cornelius and the other people gathered here had undoubtedly heard about the fame of Jesus and many of the miracles and things that he had done, the gospel had first been sent to the Jewish people. The second thing he emphasizes, Jesus is Lord of all, and he is God's Christ, God's anointed one. He pointed that out in several of his other sermons. And he came to bring good news of peace, healing, doing good. As in all of his other sermons, he makes it very clear, the Jews killed Jesus. They killed him, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses. Almost word for word, you find that in all of his other sermons. The Jews, and when he was preaching to the Jews, he looked them right in the eye and said, you killed the Prince of Life, but God raised him from the dead, and we 
witnessed his resurrection. We are eyewitnesses of that fact. Fourthly, Peter refers again in this preaching to the prophets. He doesn't quote any specific uh, prophetic writings from the Old Testament, because remember, these are Gentiles. They wouldn't understand Joel or Isaiah or the prophets. He simply generically refers to the fact the prophets testified about Jesus and God appointed him as judge. Now, everyone, that's the word he uses in verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone, not just Jewish people, Gentiles are included now, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes can receive forgiveness of their sins. That's all he said. Very simple sermon. I think we make it way too complicated a lot of times. And something comes to my mind that we can insert here. You'll remember in Matthew 16 when Jesus and Peter had their little discourse back and forth and, you know, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's when Jesus told Peter, you know, you're blessed. You didn't figure this out on your own. My Father revealed this to you. And then he goes on to say, keys are being given to you. The keys of the kingdom have been given to you. That's not said to anyone else. No other apostle, nowhere else in the Bible does it mention keys of the kingdom being specifically given to someone. They were given to Peter. And I would maintain one of the keys was what he's using right here to unlock the door of faith for the Gentiles. That's an expression that Paul would later use in referring to the gospel going to the Gentiles, but keys open doors. And there's a door being opened here for the first time ever, a door that opens so Gentiles can come in and together with the Jewish people enjoy all of the benefits of God's gracious salvation. So, the gospel has now been preached to the Gentiles. How are they going to react? (laughs) Well, in the following verses, starting in verse 44, Acts 10, 44, we'll read down to verse 48. While Peter was still speaking these words. He hadn't finished yet. Perhaps he had more to say. But while Peter was still speaking these words, he's rudely interrupted. Of course, I'm being facetious, because the interruption is the Holy Spirit. While Peter was still speaking these words, 
the Holy Spirit came on all, A-L-L, all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, remember six circumcised believers have come from Joppa with Peter. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I love this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. There was no altar call given. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not against altar calls or any of these other things. But there was no altar call. There were no hands laid. There was no soft background music playing. The Holy Spirit fell on them suddenly. The Holy Spirit just came upon them before anybody had a chance to do anything. I like it when God moves sovereignly and nobody can even take any credit because, you know, we're so prone to this nonsense that if I lay hands on John and he receives the Holy Spirit, I walk away thinking, wow, that was me. John received the Holy Spirit because my holy hands touched him. Baloney garbage. Be very careful with that kind of foolishness. It's the Holy Spirit who came on them. And just a few times in my 43 years of ministry have I experienced this where without anybody trying to drum anything up without any music playing without anybody trying to make something happen God just falls on the people that's what happened here the Holy Spirit came on them <clears throat> we had a meeting several years ago down in Florida in Pastor Wiesone's church uh, Pastor Tom, Dan, and I were there ministering, and each one of us had given uh, a message, and we were meeting in a hotel. There was actually a room, a conference room, that they had set up aside for us to have the meeting in. And there was a pretty large group, I don't know, maybe 50, 70 people, I don't know exactly how many were there. And we had finished, each one of us had finished our message, we closed up our Bible, we prayed a simple little prayer, and we sat down. There were no musical instruments, there was no music to play, there was nothing. 
And I don't know if you've been in situations like that, but I have been where when you sit down, it's real awkward because everybody's looking around wondering, okay, what do we do now? Well, we didn't have that problem that night. Because as soon as we sat down, the Holy Spirit fell on that place. I don't have any better words to explain it. Tom and I call it our Pentecost. The Holy Spirit just fell. And for the next several hours, it was beyond comprehension. It was out of our hands. It was out of our control. The Holy Spirit began to fall on people, people receiving the Holy Spirit. People were having visions, prophecies. People were seeing angels. It was absolutely supernatural. How about we seek God for more visitations like that, where maybe even while we're still speaking, before we even have a chance to give an altar call, or lay hands on people, or play some soft worship music. Again, I'm not against any of that stuff. Those things have their place. But how about we pray and cry out to God, Lord, fall on us. Visit us with a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You see, <clears throat> when it says, while Peter was still speaking, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. That word, came on, is a Greek word. It's a very powerful word, actually. It means to seize with violence, to fall on, to lie on, to press upon. The, the Holy Spirit fell on them, came on them powerfully. Very similar to what happened in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. They were there praying, and suddenly there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and the Holy Spirit filled them all. The circumcised believers, remember there were six Jewish believers that had come along with Peter. They're there for a reason. God wanted witnesses of what was happening here. Maybe they wouldn't have believed Peter if he came back and he alone gave this report. <clears throat> so there are others to corroborate his story. Listen to what it says about the other Jewish circumcised believers who are there in this meeting. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit, listen to these words, had been poured out even on Key words, even on the Gentiles. Well, sure, the Holy Spirit's going to fall on Jewish people because they're God's favorites. But they had never dreamed of seeing this happen. The Holy Spirit is now being poured out even on Gentiles. The word astonished is a Greek word that literally means to be put out of your mind, to be put out of wits, 
to become astounded, insane, amazed, surprised, or beside oneself. What these Jewish believers are witnessing is absolutely crazy. They could not believe what their eyes and ears were witnessing. The Holy Spirit just fell, not on one or two, but on every single Gentile in that meeting. Word of God is very clear. They all, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. These early Jewish Christians, its again, it's hard for us to get into their heads. This was very hard for them to accept. We're talking about centuries and centuries of tradition and culture and teaching. And now they've got to unlearn all of that and accept this is a new day. God has opened a door of salvation for the Gentiles. Here, Gentiles are receiving the gospel. They're receiving Christ. They're receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit just like we did. And it was humbling for them. Because there was no doubt a lot of Jewish pride. We're the chosen ones. We're God's favorite ones. And now they have to share that with all the other nations. This was going to be hard for the Jewish believers to accept. And we'll see when we get into the next chapter that it took some time for this to really settle into their hearts and minds that God had removed the wall between Jew and Gentile. I want to read one more portion of Scripture, and we're probably going to have to stop here for this session. Coming back to the book of Ephesians again, Paul had a lot to say about this in his letter to the Ephesians, and in Ephesians 3... He talks about a mystery. This is not a murder mystery. This is something previously hidden from our understanding, and God is now revealing it. God is now unveiling that truth that was previously hidden. Let's find out what the mystery is. Ephesians 3, verses 2 to 6. Surely you have heard about the administration. Uh, King James translates that um, dispensation. This dispensing or administering of God's grace. You have heard about the dispensation of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. That's the only way you know mysteries, is by revelation. So Paul is saying, there's a mystery. There's something hitherto hidden and not really known or understood, but I now understand it, and I'm going to explain it to you, because it's been revealed to me by the Holy Spirit. The mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. We read about it in chapter 2. He already wrote a little bit about it. 
He's going to amplify it now. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. There it is again. What is this mystery? Verse 5, which was not made known to men in other generations. Okay, we get it. It's a mystery. Nobody understands it. Nobody understood it before, but now you know what it is. What is the mystery, Paul? Not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Here it comes. Verse 6. This mystery. He's going to tell us what the mystery is now. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned a little earlier, if you're a Gentile, and most likely you are, when you read that, you're probably like, okay, what's the big deal? Why this build-up about the mystery? Okay, fine. Again, you have to kind of labor to get into the mindset of a Jew at that particular point in time. This was a major, major thing that happened in the house of Cornelius. It's a huge mystery that Paul is now revealing to the church. The gospel is now also for the Gentiles. Don't forget when Jesus was here on earth, he commanded his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles. Only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It wasn't time yet. The door had not been opened yet. Now, the door has opened, the mystery has been revealed, the gospel is for Jew and Gentile alike. Now, I'll just give a quick intro to the next part, and we're going to have to pick it up here next time. What really astonished Peter and all the other Jews that were with him is they saw the Holy Spirit come on Cornelius and every single one that was gathered there in his home. How did they know that? They heard them all speaking in tongues and praising God. Nobody tried to make anything happen. The Holy Spirit fell on them. Wow. <clears throat> what a way to begin the ministry to the Gentiles. And from here on, it would be like an earthquake. It would be like an explosion. Gentiles by the thousands would now start coming in through that door of faith and enjoying salvation just as the Jewish believers had been doing up until this point. We're going to have to hold it for there. Come right back here next time and learn more details about what happened with these first Gentiles 
And then we'll move on into Acts chapter 11 and see there was some real opposition from the Jewish believers when they heard about what was going on. They just, they just couldn't process all of this. And Peter had to sit down with them and explain the whole testimony in order for them to understand that this was God. This was God's timing. God was now opening the door of faith for the Gentiles. Let's pray. Father, most of us listening tonight were not Jewish by birth. We are Gentiles. And Lord, we are absolutely grateful that you opened the door for us because for centuries it was closed. For centuries we were excluded from any promise, any blessing, any association with the house of Israel. We were without hope, without God. And Lord, in your great mercy and great grace, you fulfilled the words of the prophets, and you opened the door of grace and faith also for the Gentiles. And Lord, we are like the wild olive branches that are being grafted in now, as Paul would later explain to the Romans. And we're so grateful that salvation is not only for the Jews, it's also now for the nations. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for each and every one that has come together tonight to study your word together. We pray that you would strengthen us with power and might in the inner man, you would help us to be able to speak your word boldly in these last days, to stand up for the truth of the gospel, and to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to the nations. Lord, we commit ourselves into your loving hands. We pray for your grace, your power, your blessing to be upon each and every one, O oh God. Lord, we pray that you would bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Turn your face toward us and give us your shalom. Give us health. Give us wholeness. Give us wellness. Give us abundance.